and welcome to our podcast, The Ups and Downs of a Small Business Owner, where we hope to show you exactly what it's like to grow a business. Today, I'm with Harry Alston, investor, recruiter, big in marketing. I'm not going to say kind of marketer. Is that a word? Marketer? Marketeer. 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 Business owner. Is there anything else that... Is there anything you can't do? Accountancy. <laughs> <laughs> although although you've dabbled. I have dabbled. I've done a little bit when I've been thrown in at the deep end. I think every business owner needs to have a little bit of awareness of accountancy, but I think we're certainly not the experts. So how would you describe yourself using them? Very entrepreneurial, always looking for the next thing, whether that's spotting an opportunity in my business or spotting an opportunity externally. Very passionate extremely passionate sometimes a little bit too passionate I'd say I think we mentioned burnout I think you know passion can lead to that if not managed in the right way and quite intense at times you know I, I'm very on it very invested in things I wanted to get my wanted to get my claws in something I really want to see it through to completion so yeah I think I'm entrepreneurial passionate and, and you know a tiny bit intense at times hopefully on the positive side rather than the negative side I guess that explains your kind of recruitment background because Anybody that I spoke to in recruitment is it's very sales focused. It's very kind of full on. So you almost have to have the passion. You have to have that drive. You have to have the the confidence to do something like that and to actually succeed in it. Definitely, I think you know recruitment is a twenty four seven job, like being a business owner is. And I think with recruitment, you kind of manage your own business within a business. Definitely the best recruiters I know do, anyway. But certainly one of those ones that you can't switch off. You know, you come in, you wake up in the morning, you check your emails, you've got someone that's going to be in interview at nine o'clock with one of your top tier clients and they've just emailed you to say they've actually changed their mind, they don't want to go in. The client comes in at nine, so you're like, right, okay, how do I deal with this situation? So it's one of those ones that you've always got something going on. I think obviously your podcast is orientated around the highs and lows of being a business owner. You could do a separate podcast on the highs and lows of a recruiter, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty huge in itself. Maybe yeah. one day I'll dabble into yeah. that. Let's go back to when you started. What was your dream? What did you want to achieve? So you just left school, where did, or even during school. Where did you want to go? Where did you see yourself? I think for me, it was always about kind of managing my own time and doing things my way. I was never kind of under the illusion that I could leave school straight away and go into running a very successful business because obviously that takes time but I think there was always an entrepreneurial spark there I never had the vision of working for someone forever and always had the vision for kind of creating something myself and I think coming out of school I went into personal training initially because I didn't really know what to do I was big into the gym and I think for me what I've always followed is industries that I, I take a genuine interest in I've done the same with study you know so Love going down the gym, you know, I had a real passion for fitness and I found the gym such a, a really release, not just physically but mentally as well. So naturally went into to personal training, decided that probably wasn't for me long term, found a fantastic recruitment business. A friend of mine at the time was in recruitment, he was telling me all about this, like making this money and that money. And I thought it was just sitting behind a desk all day chatting to people about jobs they genuinely wanted. Definitely not the case, <laughs> I can tell you now. You know, a lot of cold calling. A lot of approaching people that literally have no interest in speaking to you whatsoever. A lot of rejection. The first six months, especially in recruitment, is very, very tough. But I found very, very good business. You know, huge recruitment organisation. Offered full training and development. Especially in the first six months, did I, did I question my decision to leave personal training where the sun was shining and it was the middle of summer and I'd be 
out in the fields and I was in this office being told to F off all the time, all day, every day. Yeah, but I thought, look, give it six months, see where I'm at after six months, you know, and kind of see where it takes me. And then from the sort of six, seven month stage, I was loving it. I was earning a bit of commission, which to me, I'd never really earned commission before. I was like, you come in with the expectation of a basic wage and then all of a sudden you get an extra 200 a month, an extra 300 a month, and then escalates from there. You think it's fantastic. It's actually worth all of the F-offs. So yeah, did that coming out, coming out of school, personal training, then into recruitment and worked for that business for about five years. I rest of manager. I think I was the youngest manager in the business at the time. And they, they did me a great service. Always did what they promised. Uh, gave me great training and development, not only at an early stage, but also in a managerial sense. Alongside that, I studied, did sort of my undergraduate with the OU, and then later went on to do a master's, and then kind of found my passion for marketing whilst I was probably, when I was a sales manager in recruitment, so I had a lot of involvement in, in marketing our service, spotting opportunities within the offering that we had. So we set up EAC, which is my first business, about sort of five and a half, six years ago. I had huge involvement in the marketing of that. Obviously did recruitment and did the very hands-on stuff for about three years. And then we really started to, to build and grow a team. So I had more involvement sort of in the operations, more involvement in the marketing. And sort of about 18 months ago, to cut a long story short, which has probably already been a long story, but anyway, you know, we then set up New Gen, as it's known now, previously Generation Z Marketing, because with, with the recruitment business, we didn't have a huge marketing budget. We weren't a massive multi-million pound corporation, but what we did very well was social media marketing. We, we did videography very well, and, and people always used to compliment us on how good the marketing was. We'd win clients of the marketing, we'd win candidates of the marketing, and people would start recognizing us. And people would say they want to join a business based on the marketing. So we thought, well, you know, let's do a quick analysis of sort of local businesses how well do they market themselves on social media which is a relatively like low value or, or low cost way of marketing yourself and, and the answer was a lot of small businesses sort of maybe five to fifty people they have very little presence and what an opportunity you know if you could market well for them they can grow their client base they can be more visible they can grow their brand awareness so that's kind of resulted in my my time now growing new gen building the team that we've got on new gen and really focusing more on the marketing side than on the recruitment side, which I leave to our management team and lead, leave to my, my co-director. So certainly been an exciting sort of journey over the last six months. I mean, that all sounds positive. It hasn't all been positive, trust me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so I'm going to go back to right at the beginning. You mentioned that first six months, mm. that constant rejection. How do you pull through that? Like, how do you, you go home at night being told F off or whatever it is that the people are telling you, does that have an impact on you? Yeah, I think it does. And you question yourself quite a lot because you're probably the same setting up a business because I've gone through that now at least twice. Once when I started in, once when I started in recruitment predominantly and then once when I started EAC. So you have to you know, keep going through that journey. And you do question yourself, you think, am I good at this? you see other people when I first got into to recruitment let's start with that you see other people doing deals you see other people making 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 thousand pounds a month and you think wow these guys are making good money you know and I'm getting all of these no's I'm getting all of these F-offs I'm getting all of this rejection is this actually going to turn into a yes but I think you'd probably agree with me David and I think most business owners would and this was the same for EAC when we set this up you need to believe in the longer term vision you need to stay consistent. 
And if you believe in that longer term vision, you can get through the no's, you can get through the rejections. So you go home sometimes and think, this is a pain in the ass, and I'm getting frustrated and I'm feeling like negative with it. Yeah, you do, but I think at the back of your mind, you believe in yourself, you believe in the long-term goal, and if you can believe in that long-term goal and where you want to be long-term, you can get through the here and the now, which might be rejection. I guess, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's, it's almost a matter of time. If you believe in it and you really want it to go somewhere, it's just how long can you stick it out for before you kind of decide, actually, do you know what? Enough's enough and I can't carry on. Mm. Well, I think with that first business, when I went into recruitment and I was employed, six months was a time frame to put on it, which I thought was a fair time. You know, and by month three, month four, things were, you know, I wouldn't say rainbows and unicorns, but things were, things were positive. You know, deals were being done, revenues were going up, and, you know, I could see potential. When I set up EAC, it's a different scenario. I'd already done it once for someone else, so I knew even if it took more than six months, that was something I was committed to. You know, I don't know what your sort of, situation was when you first set up the business but for that first year me and my business partner we didn't take a wage you know and that's that's quite tough but we believed in the longer term vision so you're taking that step back from earning the managerial salary and all of the associated bonuses to starting a business you know in a tiny little office where it's just you two sitting together thinking yeah i kind of miss like having this huge team and being in this massive multi-million pound corporation but you know, again, you know, we, we made that step and we knew it would work long term. So whereas with the first business, yes, six months was the time that I gave it. In the second business, you know, EAC, I had complete confidence that whether it was six months, 12 months or 18 months, we were going to make it work. And it's just making sure the cash didn't run out in that time, which, you know, fortunately it didn't. So you say you didn't pay yourself for a year. How did you get by? Was that savings that you built up? Was that... So I actually owned a property that I let out. So I sold that, sort of took the equity in that. Looking at the prices of property have gone up now, I probably could have made about double if I held on to it. But you know, that's that's the nature of the beast. But yeah, I mean, we needed that money at the, I, I needed that money at the time. Imran, my, my business partner, he had his own own ways, his, his own savings, his own way of obviously being able to supplement some form of lifestyle. But yeah, for me, it was, you know, taking that risk of selling a property, the bricks and the mortar, which you know long-term is always gonna make you money for something that, you know, you feel actually there's there's a there's excitement and there's opportunity with. So yeah, it was selling the property and that, that that got me through sort of the first 12 months and then we started to pay ourselves, a, you know, a, a small amount like everyone does. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, you know, actually, how do you cope with that? And, and that, that's a huge risk. You know, you've gone from having something that's tangible, something that's always going to be worth a good amount of money to kind of push that away and go, yeah, the business will work. Mm. And actually, that's confidence in yourselves and in the business. Definitely. I think we had exactly the same thing. We we had full confidence. We, there was no doubt that it was going to work. It mm. was just, we need a bit more time. We just need a bit more money to survive six months, 12 months, whatever it is that you, mm. you know, as you said it. So that's quite an interesting one. So you mentioned you've got a business partner. Yeah. How important have people been personally and business to your journey? Yeah, massively. I think, you know, I, I listened to, to James on your previous podcast and I think you, you mentioned to him about him being a sole director, not having a mentor, you know, but, and that's not the journey that I've had. It's probably the complete opposite because I've done it with someone, you know, as you have, David. 
You know, and you have that the luxury of bouncing off someone, someone telling you if your ideas are shit, you telling them if their ideas are shit. You know, so I think hugely influential, hugely influential. And then I think as you you own a smaller business, and I'd imagine a lot of you know small business owners. You know, probably quite similar. I mean, people that own businesses that maybe sort of twenty-five people and under. Your people are influential as well. You know, you 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 bring on managers, you bring on seniors, you even bring on trainees that can bring fresh ideas. You know, and and you have to be agile enough to adapt to their suggestions and to not feel that as a director you know it all. You know, people are hugely influential in in shaping the business. Both of my both of my businesses, EAC. And Ugen, they haven't solely been shaped by myself and Imran. You know, we've had massive input from our management team, massive input from you know people you know that are even trainees within the business as to what we can do better. You know, and people when they're coming from other businesses, you, you probably know coming from other accountancy firms, there's ways that other accountancy firms might work better than you, and they might say, David, maybe you should implement this, maybe you should implement that. You know, and it's the same with us on the marketing side and, and on the recruitment side. You know, to kind of take those suggestions and try and work collaboratively to make our business better, and naturally, the people are integral to that. I completely again. You know, I, I just echo everything you've just said. So, what's been your biggest failure? I think not understanding the finances well enough, and I think if most business owners are honest, that's probably where most of their failures have been. I mean, I understand the finances. I think. To a very high degree now, for someone that's not an accountant, because you have to, you know, you need to understand where your wastage is, where your return on investment is, where your profitability is. You know, if you're looking at, say, a P&L sheet and you've got multiple different revenue streams on there, you can't say, say your business makes fifty thousand pounds a month. You know, forty-five thousand of that might come from a specific revenue stream that you need to invest in more. You know, whereas the other five thousand is coming from two other revenue streams that could be a, a waste of time. You know, but you only know if you know the finances intricately because some business owners, especially new business owners, would look at fifty thousand pounds and say, "Oh, that's fantastic! My business is doing really well." But actually, if you look at where that derives from, then you can focus more on those profitable areas and take the business up to sixty, seventy thousand. And then on the back end, especially in the early stages and through COVID periods, you know, and and through tougher economic conditions, it's also watching the losses. It's not just about the profit. You know, because you could be making GP of fifty thousand, but actually, if your losses are at fifty-five thousand pound a month, you're losing five thousand pounds. So fifty thousand GP might sound great, but actually, if it's a net loss of five thousand, then not so positive. Definitely not so positive. So I think again, it's not only understanding where the revenue is coming from and, and what to focus on and what to invest in, but it's also where to strip costs, where to actually spend money to make money, what's really unnecessary. And I think we've all all had kind of things on our P and L that you know a hundred pound goes out a month for. You know this this thing that's on your bank statement. You never really look at it, and then when you get to the end of the year and you look at your annual statement, you're like, I just spent twelve hundred pounds on that. What the hell is it? You know. Whereas if you understand your finances slightly more intricately, probably more on a management accounts level, you can strip out those costs. So I think definitely, you know, the biggest failure is not understanding the finances quick enough. I think that's a mistake a lot of business owners make. But I think one of the more recent successes. Understanding the finances a lot more. I mean, the fact that you've just gone into that level of detail and you're not an accountant—that is impressive. Because most business owners that I I've spoken to and, and I hear about, they're looking at the bank. Mm. Is there cash in the bank? 
yes, we're doing fine. Mm. And actually, as as you know, like you know, that means absolutely nothing. Like, if you're making a loss each month, that cash will dry up. Mm. But you can forecast that cash drying up as long as you know your numbers. Definitely. So the fact that you're already looking at that that sort of stuff from that point of view, I'd say that's a huge win, and that's only going to take you a lot further. Yeah, um, fingers crossed. Well, yeah, but you're looking at you're looking at that, and you're you're trying to predict, and you're trying to forecast, and you're trying to understand what the future looks like not just what the past looks like yeah definitely and I, I, I did an MBA and that taught me a lot about finance taught me a lot about marketing they were kind of the two angles that the MBA was orientated around you know the finance aspect and, and the, the marketing aspect but looking at the finance aspect you know there was a really you know interesting kind of thing in there that was like right okay if every business did the same as it does now without evolving would it still be a successful business in 10, 20 years' time? And they used the example of, right, if you looked at every business in the FTSE, the FTSE 100, if that business didn't evolve in 10 years' time, would that business still be in the FTSE 100? And the answer is no. And that teaches you quite a lot about sort of finance, cash burn rates, where you're wasting money, where you need to invest more money, but also teaches you a lot about marketing. How can I spot opportunities? How can I evolve? How can I be better? And I think a lot of looking at those two aspects of finance and the marketing was certainly somewhere, you know, and the involvement of businesses was certainly somewhere that we decided to found new gen because we thought this is new, this is up and coming. We can help businesses get to that next level, you know, and take themselves from point A to point B and move into the digitized world, which if you're looking at your bottom line, your bottom line's only gonna deplete if you're not constantly evolving. So I think that, that focus on the MBA and you know thinking about those companies in the FTSE and how they'd evolve is both a financial thing and a marketing thing and was certainly a key driver you know, for the founding of NewGen. Yeah, <laughs> I'd literally just echo that. And talking about businesses evolving and again marketing, something I was talking to somebody about yesterday was what did Tesla do? So most people turn around and say Tesla build cars. But they don't. They build mm. batteries. Mm. The fact that they do cars is their, their gateway into selling their batteries. Yeah. But actually what they do is they build the batteries and they, they put it in a pretty good car and they market it very well. Mm. So from that aspect, they've adapted because they couldn't get their batteries into current cars. So mm. they decided they'd evolve and they'd do it themselves. Mm. That just kind of shows the evolution of certain businesses and how they do it definitely you know and it's even like businesses like Rolls Royce people don't realise that they actually do sort of the engines and, and stuff for, for planes yeah so they do a lot in aerospace but you know and again that derives back from okay where are your revenues coming from now everyone would think Tesla's revenue or Rolls Royce's revenue are coming from the cars but actually you've got multiple streams where they're, they're tapping into other sectors you know and I think that's a key thing you know for me that I've learned in business is you know it's not just going back to it's not just right okay we've made £50,000 a month that's wonderful it's actually looking at okay where's the wastage been you know what revenue has allowed us to create that £50,000 a month and what do we need to invest in further yeah I'm going to take it back again yeah so how old were you when you started EAC 25 when we set up the company but then we started a few months later so 26 in essence how did you feel talking to people, pitching to people, being 26 and trying to portray, I say portray, you were a business owner, yeah. but trying to say that 
and trying to kind of put that across did people ever kind of think you're a bit young and stuff like that probably but they never said that to me no <laughs> probably thought so, he was this but I, I was 23 when I was a manager in, and I managed a team of 32 people and some of those people were you know 35, 40 45 years old a lot more senior than me and they probably thought you know why, why am I being managed by this guy but then I think you, you only get to that stage if you've got the credibility you've got the ground and you've got the foundational knowledge to actually after a while after you know a couple of weeks of working with them or, or whatever they see the value that you can actually add to them so it's like well why work against him you know based on purely an age metric when I could actually work with him and this would benefit you know, my career or you know as a business owner pitch into to someone that's probably a lot older than me and a lot more experienced actually yeah he could get me the stuff that I want he could add the value to my business you know, I think James mentioned a lot, you know, whereas with recruiters, they, they get a bad reputation because, you know, they just try and put a square peg in a round hole because it's based on commission and this, that, and the other. Now, whereas what, what we were trying to sell was more of a consultative solution. Like, it's not about burning clients. It's not about burning candidates. It's about actually understanding the needs and the wants of the candidate, understanding the needs and the wants of the client, and actually matching them perfectly together and that's that's the way that I always pitched Now I wasn't a cold hard Wolf of Wall Street seller loved the film but I certainly wouldn't sell like that you know it's, it's a relationship based sell and I think people started to understand as I spent more time with them and they gave me a shot that actually yeah I mean age age is kind of irrelevant definitely when I first walked in the room maybe but I think as you start working with someone I mean I, I'd work with people that are 18, 19 whatever age I'd work with people that are 60, 70 you know it's about what value can they add um, and I think people are starting to understand that a little bit more now and I think when they start working with you and you become credible quickly you know that, that becomes something that's almost irrelevant right so, the reason I highlight that is because I, I had this one particular experience where somebody almost said Oh, that's cute! You've started a business at twenty-five. Right, <laughs> like, but that was, that wasn't patronising at all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was almost like you know, I, I remember when I did that at twenty-five. Okay, well, that's great, but that really kind of stuck with me. That's why I kind of highlighted yeah. it. You know, is, has anybody else experienced that, or is it just? But does it does it motivate you, David, to be even better? I mean, any time I have like sort of a situation like that, someone's dismissive or they don't like what we're offering and this that and the other, and it's like, well, yeah, that's fair enough, no problem at all. But actually, I use that as a motivational tool to say, well, now as we sort of head to the moon in terms of the way the business grows, you know, you'll look back and see, do you know what? That maybe that's an opportunity that I missed. Absolutely. I, now, yes, mm. but at the time, I was quite a shy person. I didn't have a huge amount of confidence. To have somebody say that almost kind of really knocked me down, and was like, I I really struggled with feedback as well. Mm. So if somebody gave me feedback, I would almost kind of get upset. You mm. know, what have I done wrong? How have I done that? Whereas, and again, it comes back to that time you had in recruitment. Actually, probably thickened your skin. Mm. Actually getting rejection getting that negative feedback you got used to that you mm. suddenly then once you've come out of that i guess you've you've already got that thick skin it doesn't hit hard yeah thicker i think i think you know and i think that's a really good point that you've raised because i think when it's your business you're so passionate about it and you love it and it's the best thing since sliced bread which to be honest to most people is probably not and when someone tells you that 
you do take it quite personally. So I think however much rejection you get as a recruiter doing your day-to-day job, or even as a marketeer, or even as an accountant, because you know everyone gets rejection, when it's your business, there is an element of you taking it personally. And I'd love to say that everything just goes over my head, but you know, sometimes you're taking it home with you and you do think, well, you know, why don't they like it? They should like it. This is brilliant. And you get quite defensive because you're like, no, you need to understand. It could do this for you or that for you. But, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult when it's yours. But I mean, at the end of the day, you need to, to move onwards and upwards, don't you? And, you know, like I say, I, I try and use that now as a catalyst to be better. But also, there's valuable feedback in there. You know, maybe it's a way that you could better your business or, or shape your business. And you know, I've had feedback over the years from, from potential clients and so on. And, you know, whereas the initial knee-jerk reaction is, no, you should use me, I'm better than everyone else. Actually, when you sit down and walk away from that situation, you think, yeah, maybe we could actually improve this service. Actually, that feedback is much better than somebody saying, yeah, it's brilliant. Mm. Because it's brilliant, is great, it feeds your ego, but it doesn't give you anything to improve on. It doesn't give you anything to change. Mm, definitely, definitely. And I think that's part of the transition as a business owner, isn't it? To like understanding, you know, maybe when you're in your first year or your second year, you know, you want to stick up for everything and you think everything you've done is right, but you get to the fourth, fifth year and you think, Do you know what, yeah, okay, they're right. Maybe, you know, we can evolve it off the back. And you probably, over the years, start to take things less personally and start to use obstacles as catalysts. Yeah, mm. and and utilize it to go forward, to evolve, to improve. Definitely. So, what's the one thing your business did that you didn't expect it to do? I think I mentioned to you off air. Obviously, we had the COVID situation, and we actually had our accountant. I think either went into liquidation or administration at the time. So, not only did you have COVID to deal with, which everyone had to deal with, and you know, people dealt with that in their own way, but we also lost our accountant. And I think that was a big sort of learning point for me when you say, okay, you understand finances to a certain degree. You know, that's, I kind of had to learn not only accountancy, but all of this furlough business and, you know, <laughs> all of like, okay, what does this mean? How does that work? You know, 80%, 90%, 100%. You know, the government will pay some, you have to pay the rest. So you're not only learning how to pay your staff and do payroll, which you've always had that blanket, but you're also understanding how to do a return to, the government, how to put through furlough claims, how to kind of deduct taxes and stuff. And yeah, that was definitely something that I did next. That was a massive curveball because not only have you now got COVID and you're like, right, okay, we need to deal with the situation. You've then like, call your accountant. Ah, they're in administration <laughs> liquidation. Didn't even pick up the call, didn't email back. So we're like, right, okay. I think, I think we saw it on the Gazette or something in the end, the final Gazette. Wow. You know, so we were like, and then it took our new accountant probably about a month to get up to speed. And they were brilliant at the time. They really were. But yeah, I mean, in that month period, they don't know anything about your business and you're kind of running it yourself. So you've got COVID to deal with. And then you've, you've got the happiness of your staff and still making sure they understand that you're still going to get paid and this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And then you've got the finance. So yeah, I think definitely something that was unexpected, then something more unexpected on top of that. And I mean, that's an achievement in itself. You you literally got thrown in the deep end during a storm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's the only way <laughs> you could describe yeah. that. Definitely. So who's been your most important mentor? I think that's a good question. I, I don't really necessarily think there's sort of one single person. I think for me, what I try and do is everyone that I meet that's, you know, in a 
senior position or even in a junior position where there's sort of something I can learn from them where there's a way that I can evolve as an individual and evolve the business I try and learn as much as possible you know so we'll you know go and speak to, to clients maybe on the marketing side and you know that will have very successful businesses and you understand okay some of like the things that have made them successful you know you'll also speak to people in everyday life that have achieved something now, extremely well like my, my dad for example played for England under 21's rugby he was captain of Northampton Saints he was captain of Bedford Blues for a long time you know so he, he had that resilience that tenacity you know he had that sort of get up and go you know he, constantly being knocked back by rugby you know but again it teaches you that, that social aspect where you know those guys they're always going out for a beer they're always having fun they're always mates with each other you know, and that's so important my business partner Imran he was actually my manager in our last business for a long time and I was his co-manager learned a massive amount from him in the sense of certainly you know th things like understanding analytics more understanding data more you know so I think there's always people to learn from you know we go into our accountants for example you know and rather than me just tell directive right we need this we need that it's actually listening to the points that they've got on our business so i think for me there's no sort of one individual person you know it's a culmination of various different people that you meet through life i mean let's be honest some people chat absolute bollocks you know so you don't <laughs> listen to them quite so much but then there's other people that have some real great insight you know and some real sort of takeaway points that can make you better as a person, make you better as a business professional and make your business better. You know, so it's taking those little snippets, you know, and, and bettering yourself from them. So there's no kind of standout individuals? No standout, really, yeah. Right. I don't want to list off like about 10, 20 people, but no. you know, a culmination of people, definitely. If you could go back to the beginning, mm. so I guess this is when you're at the recruitment company, and do it all again. Do, do you mean employed or employed? When I say so you're employed. Okay, yeah, so this is yeah. before you start a business. Yeah. Would you do it again? Hundred percent. You wouldn't even think twice. No, I wouldn't think twice. Even with the stresses and everything that came no, with it. Wouldn't think twice. Wouldn't think. I, and the stresses as a business owner, as you know, David, are far superior to the stresses of someone that's employed. But I think the highs are a lot, lot higher as well. And I think just, I think for me, it's, it's just the freedom. And, and the control and obviously you can get that in a high ranking employed position don't get me wrong but you know I, I like to have that control over things and, and to look at the strategic direction of things and that doesn't mean I always make, <laughs> take the right direction but at least it's my direction and I can stand behind it but, but it's what you believe is Definitely. what you want to achieve whereas yeah. I think when you get to a high employed role they almost want blood mm. you know if, if they want you to work evenings weekends late night you kind of don't have a choice. Mm. You do to a degree, but yeah. equally, it, absolutely. It's and, tough. and that's the thing that we wanted to create for our guys. You know, was the opportunity that you know if they can help us steer the business in the right direction. There's no reason why they can't actually be directors. Why they can't be shareholders within the business and have a piece of the pie. You know, so it's you know taking people from. You know, I'd be really disappointed if someone left my business to set up their own business because it's like, well, if you do this well enough for us and we work collaboratively. You know, you could have a bit of this business. I'm not selfish over the shareholder that I've got in the business. Some business owners are, some aren't. But, you know, for me, I'd rather make sort of 25% of, say, 10 million pounds than make 50% of half a million. Exactly. And that just makes sense to me. Yeah, I'd completely agree with you. And I think it's quite a traditional thing to be almost a dictatorship. Mm. And it's, I'm at the top, I tell you how it all works. And that's why people do go off and mm. set up. So, 
When when is the happiest time of your life? Happiest time. And that's that's genuine happy, like happy. I think for us, like for me, sorry, you know, work-wise, it's definitely when we bring on a new client, you know, that I get a real buzz, a real thrill from that. I find that really exciting. But then on the flip side of that, it's also when we're doing a great job for a client and we're seeing that client move to the next level, especially now moving into to sort of more the marketing business and the recruitment business. You build such a strong relationship with your clients. You go on such a journey with them. You are their marketing function in essence. You know, so when all of a sudden, you know, their, their reach is improving astronomically, you know, when their brand visit, visibility is out there, when people are calling them and saying, oh, I've seen your stuff, you know, your, your marketing stuff on socials, I've seen that recent video that you did, and they give us that feedback, that's certainly when I feel the most positive. So you've kind of got two aspects there. The, fir- the first one's winning the new client. Now, as a natural salesperson, as someone working in recruitment, you get a buzz for that. And then the second bit is, you know, when we do a great job for the client. Because it's not just, you know what it's like as a business owner, it's not just about you. It's not just about your business. You know, if it was just about you, you would retain a client for three to six months and then they would go and work with someone else. When it's actually about them, not only do you get better results, but you have that client over multiple years. So, so. I, I kind of yeah agree. You know, actually, that but you can't you can't get that buzz from making that sale anywhere else. Like being a business owner and making that sale, that is incredible. Mm. But but I'm thinking more of kind of drilling down on happy you personally. When have you felt really happy about everything? Kind of work, life, personal, business. When's been that that moment you you've been really proud and happy almost in yourself? Because we can sit here and say you know actually that moment made me happy, but actually it's I think blokes are definitely the worst at doing that and opening up and being mm. honest about. Do you know what actually things are shit at the moment mm. and I'm struggling. But equally we're not very good at going. We we're very good at just kind of coasting and saying. Yeah, it's all good. Mm. But never to kind of... Actually, do you know what? We're in a good place mm. here. So I think probably two, two periods. So the first one would be as we came out of the pandemic and we set up Gen Z at the time, which is obviously new gen, because the recruitment business was thriving. It was a really exciting time because, you know, people wanted to get back in employment. Kind of the economy boomed and really spiked straight after the pandemic as everything kind of came out of lockdown. Businesses were hiring, so that was great. So you've got kind of the, because look, you can be happy with personal things, but if you've got financial stress on your head, as you know, like it can detriment other things. And then you've got, so so that was a time, so we just set up the new business, Gen Z Marketing. The recruitment business was thriving, so it could supplement the losses that you're gonna take on, on, on the Gen Z side of things. So that was the first time, and that was probably around sort of like, probably the middle of sort of 2021 to the end of 2021. You know, things were really exciting then. And then I think now as well, you know, we've got two established businesses. I've got great client list. You know, personally, I'm really happy in my life, you know, and I'm, I'm at a good position. You know, we always want more, I always want more. You know, so I, yes, I get frustrated with things still, but you know, I'm in, you know, I'm in, I'm in a happy place at the moment. You know, both businesses are working successfully. You, you know, we've got people that want to be there and they want to be on that journey. And I think that's massively important. Taking it back to your people aspect, you know, because as a business owner, 
some business owners do it all on their own, but you're gonna be working forever if that's the case. You know, you need people that wanna go on that journey. And with both of our businesses now, we've got people that wanna go on, on that journey. So I think, yeah, sort of middle of the pandemic, and then now are certainly my, my happiest periods, but they're also probably coming out of tougher periods. And I think you feel happier as a human, whether you know it or not, or whether it's subconscious or not, when you've gone through a really tough period, maybe you've struggled with burnout, as we mentioned earlier, or you've struggled with the unknown, such as COVID, and then something really positive happens. You probably wouldn't think that's as positive if you hadn't have gone through the tougher times. Exactly that. It's almost, yeah, you've had had them downs and then them them highs just hit harder and higher which is incredible mm. so I'm going to dive into that burnout one a little bit more so you mentioned that you, you had burnout recently mm. how did you how did you spot that or did you spot that or did somebody else tell you no I, I think for me I was getting more frustrated with things than I'd usually get I think it was definitely towards the back end of last year, so I think it's, it's quite recent. And I decided to make a change this year, but I'll go into that in a second. But and I was coming home, I was frustrated. You know, I was, I was very, I was micromanaging a lot of aspects of the business. I always felt I had to be there. I was taking work home with me all the time. But I think the key thing of understanding that was just kind of how agitated I was getting by small things how frustrated I was getting and think things weren't bad but you know it's like everything I, I didn't feel that the reward was coming off the back of the work that I was putting in and I was kind of digging myself deeper and deeper in the hole by working more and more you know and got to the stage where I think over Christmas I just needed a couple of weeks off had a couple of weeks off came back with a completely new mindset in January did dry Jan which I, you know I don't know if anyone listened to this or, or you've done it but you just think so much clearer. So I'd had two weeks off to rest, to spend with family, to spend with friends. I did dry jam, which gave me a really clear mind and came back in with such a renewed vigor and renewed attitude in January. And the commitment that I made to myself in January was to make sure that every few months you take sort of a week off or a few days off. Even if you feel the business needs you at that stage, Yes, if you need to do a couple of things remotely, do it, but make sure you take that time for yourself because actually if you've got problems in that moment, they're not gonna get worse and you're gonna actually be able to, with a clear head, tackle those problems. And that was a commitment that I made to myself in January. And I think we said off air, you know, it's not, that's not me being selfish with my time, you know, and at the, the business's cost, that's actually me, you know, doing something that's going to allow me to feel clearer headed in a better position to make better decisions for the business to actually take the business to the next level so actually spending more time outside the business will give me more time to make the business better okay. if that answers your question yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you said you were you were getting frustrated you were taking work home you were doing all this stuff did that impact your partner at all? I mean, my partner's pregnant okay. at the moment and was, was pregnant then. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it's going to be our first, so exciting times. I'm going to say good luck, I've just had one. Oh, have you? Was that your first well, as well? It was. So I don't think massively. I think, you know, she's a great support network, you know, and kind of understood and understands, you know, and she works in quite a high-pressurised job. She's always worked in sales as well. So she understood and she was a really good support network for that. But I think that naturally, like, 
I think when you come when you when you're agitated, when you're frustrated with things, you know, and you're you're working too hard and you're burning yourself out, like I think it impacts you. Like and you know it's probably impacting them as well, even if they don't say it. And I think when you take that moment to step back, relax a little bit, take a bit more time for yourself, take a bit more time for your family, but also use that as a catalyst to actually make things better business-wise, you're just so much happier in yourself. And that's the decision that I've made it, made in January, was just don't get so bogged down in work. And if this doesn't come on off and that doesn't come off, then don't get frustrated with things. You know, nothing in life goes up in a straight line. You look at stock chart, you look at Tesla's stock chart. You know, a great, great example. You know, stock, Tesla's stock was very low for a long time. Then it shot up. Then it came back down. Then it shot up again. I think, you know, Musk himself, I don't know how much he lost the other day, but I think he lost something like, was it 260 billion or something like that of his wealth, sort of within a couple of week time span. He lost the most that anybody has ever lost, but still was the second richest man in the world. Which is like... insane. But in that moment, did he zoom out and think, well, you know, I'm still the second richest man in the world, so what do I have to worry about? Or did he think, I don't want to be losing that money? You know, it's the way you frame things, and I don't know how he looked at that, but for me, it's just framing things differently now. You know, and, and every obstacle uh, this, this year, I want to see as an opportunity to grow and to be better and make the business better. So to use that obstacle and actually make it an opportunity. So yeah, so I think, did it impact my partner? Yes, I think so. She didn't, she didn't say it did and she was massively supportive. But I think, you know, naturally it puts a little bit more strain on the happiness of your relationship. It takes a hit at home. Mm. And again, I think we're, you might be completely different. We're not very good at opening up and talking about that or mentioning it mm. it's very much something that you keep very quiet and just just deal with yourself mm. but there's plenty of people out there that, that want to help and that will help mm. like your partner like your family like anyone that's close to business partners so you've got you, it sounds like you've got a great network around you that are always there as well yeah definitely definitely um, so going to go to Gen Z then Interestingly, you, you rebranded from Generation Z to New Gen Media. Yeah. Why? I think, okay, so if I look at the technicals, from an SEO perspective, when you type in Gen Z to a search engine, it comes up with loads of information on the age group, Generation Z, yeah. rather than the actual business. So that was, that was one reason, but also the next stage of evolution for the business. We focus quite heavily on sort of video content now, bite-sized, digestible videography, which is obviously very media-based. Social media is very media-based. So it gives probably, that, that branding gives a better overview of what we do. Social media marketing, social media management, videography, and imagery. It's more of a media solution than solely just sort of a, a pigeonholed marketing solution. And then I guess, changing all of that that brand that you've built up it obviously comes with excitement and that side of it but equally what you've built it up to and that original brand is there something that kind of is a bit sad about losing it no next stage of evolution I think <laughs> for me no not at all again we rebranded EAC we never changed the name of EAC but 
you know, going back to that FTSE 100 thing, some businesses evolve or need to take their next step in evolvement quicker than others. And I think we were at the stage when we rebranded EAC and gave it a new website and gave it a new logo and so on that the old brand had got a little bit stale. And I think with, with Generation Z Marketing, the old website didn't serve a purpose anymore. You know, it wasn't user-friendly enough. It, it didn't probably demonstrate who we were. The, the, the kind of logo needed a bit of a rejig. And I think the name needed a little bit of a rejig. And I think for us, it's, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone through it, David, but you draw a line in the sand where once that new brand is launched, there's a new excitement about the business. And we, we did that about, that, that happened about a month ago. You know, and we're, we're living off that buzz at the moment. The new website's driving traffic, it's driving potential clients. We've just taken on a business development manager to build new relationships. People are complimenting the new brand. And you now I think now when we have a client engaged and they say, right, okay, you know, I'm, I'm chatting to Harry, I'm, I'm chatting to one of the guys and so on, let's check their website, let's check their branding, they're like, the website's very good, the branding's very good, because you know we're no longer using a startup website. Now we did everything like you do, even though we had the established business of EAC and obviously that, that financed the, the start of the journey, you know, you still do things on a, a, on a smaller budget because ultimately, like, you know you're gonna have a lot of costs, like in terms of hiring staff, in terms of new resources, in terms of processes, in terms of building infrastructure. So you don't wanna go all in on buying a really fancy website and get spending loads of money on branding. But we're kind of at the stage now, which is good, that a lot of the branding, all of the marketing, we've done ourselves. Right. Whereas when obviously we initially set up, we, we were still putting those people in place. So we outsourced that. Whereas now we've pretty much done everything ourselves. So did, did you do your own brand? So we did our own brand, yeah. Yeah, we used, used another business who we worked very closely with on the web development. So we did the, the design for the website and they also did the logo. So they did the graphic design for the logo and they did the web development. A business called Red Giraffe who were in Kings. Yeah. We worked closely with them because they will refer us social media marketing clients and we'll refer them SEO clients because SEO is something we don't offer, social media marketing is something they don't offer. So again, you know, we've referred them clients in the past, they've referred us clients, so they were the perfect guys to develop the website for us. But in terms of the actual blueprint for the website, we created that. In terms of all of the marketing, we created that. In, in terms of all of the banners, we created that. The, the two things we didn't do were the, the specific logo itself because we wanted outside input and. You know, someone to look at the business and I think what they've created is you know, I love the web I love the logo some people might not but I love it I think it's pretty impressive yeah yeah I love the logo so I think they've done a great job on that and, and the web development's fantastic as well you know so we pretty much did everything other than those two things you know which it made sense for us to outsource and, and I think they've done a fantastic job with that so yeah I mean I agree I, I've, the website looks very nice it does stand out the logo again I like it it's some something I'm big on is branding. Yeah, I'm sure you're you're aware yeah. of being here. Um, Love the logo exactly, fantastic. So. so, what would you what would you like to leave behind as your business legacy? I think for me, the goal has always been to build a business that people say that's your business. You know, New Gen Media, EAC Consulting Group. People to actually say. You built that business. That's yours. That's Harry. You'd be shocked, you know, because it's grown to such a level and it's such a, a strong business in terms of its branding, in terms of its presence, in terms of 
people's awareness of it. Um, you know, so that's my goal. My goal is to look back and say, I created those two things and people to be impressed with that. You know, to build a business that actually excites people, to build a business that people, you know, people knock on the door of Google, everyone wants to work for Google. To locally, everyone want to work for New Gen Media. Everyone to want to work for EAC Consulting Group. You know, and I think that's where a key driver of the marketing comes in, because marketing is your way of obviously marketing that. It's your way of getting that name out there. It's your way of building brand awareness, you know, and that's why we've always had such a key focus on marketing, on branding, because if you're doing that, then people are recognizing you. Yourself, David, for example, I didn't know who Utopia were until I saw all of your personal branding. And that goes to show how effective marketing is, because until you start doing a podcast, until you know you started being a lot more active on LinkedIn, until we connected, I didn't know who Utopia were. And now I know who Utopia are because of the marketing. Whether that be personal branding or whether that be organisational branding. Yeah, so my goal, definitely what I want to leave behind is people being impressed by, wow, you founded that business. That's a fantastic business and that's a business that you know, I hear a lot of positive things about you know, and people want to work for. So there's two elements to that then. So one is the, the branding actually and it's not just marketing to customers. That's marketing then to other employees that's marketing to other brands that's marketing to just about everybody in Milton Keynes to want to want that mm. so something I was really fortunate about we recently did a job post we looked looking for new staff mm. we did a post and somebody that we interviewed said that their whole office being quite a big accountancy firm they've got 50 plus staff they said their whole office were talking about it really and that yeah. that hit home like wow actually some people have talked about us and that that's that's it so then my question to you then is actually then what was my question I've lost it now I'm sure it'll come back yeah but yeah, yeah. I, I mean for, for me it's about that awareness of the business you know I think any business that isn't going to market themselves appropriately now over the next few years is going to get left behind, especially in the digital age. You know, people are relatively lazy. They, they kind of want everything at their fingertips. And if you're in front of them all the time, you're going to be the one they buy off. And that, that's kind of our goal. But not only the goal from a, a customer and a client perspective, also from a brand perspective when we're trying to attract people. Like you say, how good does that feel as a business owner when you've got 50 person accountancy practice talking about your job? And I knew you were hiring as well because I saw the marketing, you know? Exactly. So yeah, that was it. It was how do you think people are impressed with you now? Yeah, I think I think people it's it's tough to say because obviously people say it to your face, but you never really know. I I, I think what we've created, EAC, I mean, in my opinion. I think EAC is the go-to recruiter within Milton Keynes now as a independent recruiter. You've got your Reeds, you've got your Indeeds, you've got your Michael Pages that are much bigger than us. However, I think as an independent recruiter, when you're looking to work with an independent, we are the go-to. And it's now taking that to the level where we're the outright go-to. We're the only. We have monopoly. Why would anyone go anywhere else? Yeah, we might be a bit more expensive, but... Pay cheap, pay twice. 
Now, at the end of the day, we, we might be a bit more expensive, but I want the best stuff I can possibly get. And, and you pay for quality. Exactly. You're not, if you want cheap, there's plenty of other people, but if you want something that's good, that works, that does everything you need it to do, you pay for that. Definitely. You know, and I'm sure with you, like, I don't, I don't know how much your accountancy packages are exactly, David, but Too it comes to you. <laughs> but sometimes that's the same point in itself. Do you know what I mean? If you can't afford me, then the, don't use me. The interesting thing is, is we have it from both ways. We have some people come to us and say, oh, you know, I just want my tax return done for 100 quid. That's absolutely fine. There's other accountants that can do that. Then when we've gone to other companies, We've said, you know, we can do everything for a grand a month. And people have gone for that little because you're replacing a full finance department. I don't believe you can do it for that, that little money. And we've proved them wrong. Yeah. But it's, it's that whole... And, and, and that's the thing, you know, you... So, so moving on to new gen very quickly. So that's where I want EAC to be. Yeah. But again, you know, are people impressed with new gen? I think... Yes, because we do something niche, we do something innovative. There's a lot of social media marketers out there, but not many in Milton Keynes, and not many that do it well. What we offer is very similar to you. We're replacing a whole marketing team with our marketing team for a cost ranging from maybe £450 a month to £1,400 a month. You know, with the majority of our clients probably being sort of in that mid-range of maybe six, eight hundred, £1,000 a month, where if you're replacing just one marketing person the songs say, say 25K, plus tax, insurance, pensions, you're looking at probably costing somewhere in a 30,000 pound mark, whereas we give you no employment liability, like like you're the same, you know, as a, as a service orientated business, no employment liability for the cost of 10 to 12,000 pound a month. Like to me, for certain businesses, if you get your clients right, that's a complete no brainer. Other businesses, you know, if you're talking these huge businesses, now Argos, Deloitte, what, why, why would they use you? Well, Deloitte wouldn't because obviously they're not an accountancy plan. But, you know, why would they use you? Because they, they've, they've got enough money, they keep everything in-house, they keep everything controlled by themselves. However, if you get your target audience right of, you know, ours is probably somewhere between 50, five to 50 people on the new gen side, it's a perfect business for us because there's no red tape, there's no bureaucracy, there's no multiple decision makers. Do we deal with biz- bigger businesses? Yes. However, they're the perfect kind of businesses that they could probably either use us or get an in-house team because they've got the headcount and probably the revenue. And you're probably quite similar in terms of size of business, but they can afford it as well. And like you say with a thousand pounds, how nice is it when a client's, you know, you say to a client, right, it's 800 quid and they're like, wow, that's good. Whereas then you've got other clients that are probably outside of your target audience that they're saying, wow, that's far too much. I was looking £200 a month. Yeah. And you're like, well, we're probably not the right business for you then. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't close this with AI. Yeah. Marketing, I guess, is probably having the biggest impact or view on it. Mm. So obviously there is ChatGPT, there is hundreds of different AI softwares out there now that are are doing a lot of marketing or and what's your view on that it's funny because i actually did my dissertation on ai within branding that was my dissertation for my masters and i did a lot of research it was a twelve thousand word dissertation which would wow. probably bore the life out of you david i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i'd struggle with the first hundred words. <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely but yes yeah, so i so i did that and i, I don't think anything's changed for me ai is a hugely influential tool 
and you could either work against it or disagree with it, okay? And it will cost you time, it will cost you money, or you could work with it and use it to your advantage. For me, I would always use it to my advantage. I don't think at this stage we're anywhere near a world where AI would replace marketeers, it would replace recruiters, it would replace accountants. I think all of those sectors can use it to their advantage, and I think they will be doing a lot more manual stuff that will take a lot longer, that will cost a lot more if they don't use it to their advantage. But for me, it is a lever to make you more successful as a business. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of AI. Yeah. You know, I was always quite old school when I was younger. I think it's you know the way that kind of my dad brought me up. You know the kind of the old school business person. You know that doesn't really use tech and this that, and the other. But I think. Now, as the years have gone on, especially with the founding of EAC, the founding of, of, of NewGen, and probably you with the founding of Utopia, you think, right, there's an opportunity actually for us to become a better business and to offer more to clients if we work in synergy with you know, new tech, if we work in synergy with it, AI, and we, we work in synergy with the way the, the contemporary world is, is moving. I mean, at the end of the day, we're in a fourth industrial revolution, right? That's the tech revolution. So you could work against it and be in older revolutions, you know, and work harder, or you could work with it and use it to your advantage. And you know, that's 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 my belief. So, so you're not nervous, or you're not worried about it replacing anything. Or... No, I'm excited. If anything, good. And, and I, I think with certain industries, you know, I look at look at an industry like a state agency, like, and the way that searches are done. When you buy a house, you should be really excited at the end of that process that you know you're moving into your new house and that's brilliant. But actually, you're just relieved. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and it's true, isn't it? You're just relieved that all of the paperwork's done, all the searches are done, everything's come back. You know, every solicitor, every conveyancer, every estate agent, you know, every seller, every buyer. There's always issues. There's problems. Nothing's a seamless process, and it takes so long. You know, I think industries like that, you know. That an element of disruption is definitely needed to move the industry forward. And estate agents do a great job. Conveyances do a great job. But the, the way that the, the property world works, to me, is just archaic. And it hasn't moved forward in 20, 30 years. And I think there's elements of recruitment, elements of marketing, elements of finance that could also do with that same disruption. I would say there's a lot of professional services that are too time heavy, too, too slow, mm. and as you say, you know, when it comes to getting property, that's six months of torture, going backwards and forwards, chasing people for a document that we we can do quicker. There are ways of doing it quicker. AI can do it better than us. Definitely. Definitely. So, so my my view, and we built this solely on AI. Like I am heavily in, involved with it. Yeah. All I'm looking at. I think I've got a list of eighteen new AI that I'm looking at this mm. week. Like, so, how do you integrate that quickly into your business? How do I integrate? Me interviewing you now, David. Yeah, 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 I like it. So, so talk to me about kind of the AI that you use and how you use that to your advantage. So, I'm very fortunate that I get to talk to 60 different business owners on a monthly basis. Yeah. So, if ever ever any of them hear about it, I'm talking to them about it. Yeah. So suddenly, I've got 60 eyes and ears looking mm. as well. Then, then I've got softwares that I talk to clients. That I talk to other people in the industry. So I work very closely with. I would argue, sort of. 10, 20 of the top accountants or the, the most digitally advanced accountants in the country. Yeah. 
and they're part of like an early adopters hub so they we are literally talking directly to fintech that is just starting out yeah so pulling it into the into the business is actually does it does it benefit me does it save me time yes or no does it save the team time yes or no and does it save client time so even then i'm looking at okay that doesn't work for us but we've got clients over here that could use for example there's something i push out as a stream deck mm. a lot of people if i said to you you know actually get a stream deck for your business okay well, how would that work what would that do but when you've got a set of buttons that could automate i don't know a, a horribly boring task that you do on a daily basis mm. and then your whole team are doing that we've put that into manufacturing businesses mm. we've put it into retail companies that are now you now have stream decks for their whole team which is incredible yeah but it's it's making sure that we don't overlap on current softwares and yeah. making sure there's a need for it is it fixing a problem mm. and it's, it's going back to that problem all the time because we're very good at just putting in tech for no reason mm. but what we're not very good as a, not necessarily utopia but humans we're yeah, not very yeah, good no, at we're not very good at what is the problem what is the process that we're actually fixing because sometimes we'll just put in tech and actually we've not even fixed the problem. We've just mm. put in a new bit of tech for the yeah, sake of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and I, I suppose in the modern age, people love that and it sounds great and it's brilliant to market and this is so exciting that we're doing this, but actually, is that even solving a problem? Exactly. Or are, are, you just, are you just jumping on a bandwagon that you're excited about with it adding no value whatsoever and actually just overcomplicating things? You know, and I think that's that's... I think what you said is great there because it is about everything in business for me is about adding value. And if it doesn't actually add value, like don't get so caught up in its hype. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I use a lot. I look at a lot. I trial a lot. Essentially, that that's what I do a lot here mm. is I sign up for trial accounts for almost everything. Mm. Give it a couple of days, see what I think. Does that help me? If it does, then I roll out to the team, see what they think. Does that help the team? And then I start kind of talking to clients about it and, and getting quite excited about it. Yeah, I love it. So last question then. Is there anything you thought I was going to ask you? That you haven't asked? That I haven't asked. Let me have a little think. I, do you know what? I actually, I, I listened to this question when you asked, asked it on the last one and I thought, oh, I've got a really good, really good answer for that. But, you know, my mind's gone blank. Not really. I, th I think we've covered the majority in the sense of, you know, my journey within a business, the highs and the lows. You know, I suppose one thing is... No, we've, we've covered that. We've, we've, we've covered a lot, to be fair. Yeah, my mind's gone blank on that one. I think, you know, I like to have a sharp, you know, answer for everything. But, yeah, I think you've, you've outdone me there, David. So... We've dug a lot. So, yeah, no, thank have. you for coming on. It's been very interesting. It's great to learn a bit more about you, learn a bit more about Generation Z changing to new yeah. gen media and EAC, which I was probably less aware of. I was aware of it, but I see you mm. a lot with new gen media, and essentially that's what I see a mm. lot and what I, what I like and I understand more. So, yeah, thank you. More than welcome. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, please like and follow and make sure to tag us on social media.